And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to the highest heaven, on earth peace to those who will misfavor rest. The word of the Lord, Luke chapter two, the story of Christmas in just a few short verses. And I would assume maybe for you, whether you're, you know, been a part of church your whole life, or maybe this is new to you, that that story is familiar to you, that it's something that uh, you could say maybe as a part of your traditional understanding of what Christmas is, uh, your traditions perhaps. And I know in addition to that, we probably all have uh, our own respective traditions that we have to get ready for Christmas. Uh, maybe like you, you're like me, one of the few who uh, risk their lives every year uh, to go up top the house to put lights on top of the roof in order to keep their children happy. Uh, and in many ways, just to keep up and compete uh, with guys like this, This is an actual house uh, around the corner from where I live. Uh, some of you know that home, perhaps. Uh, they actually happen to be a part of our church. I don't know if they're here in this service or not. Um, but I think if they were my next door neighbor, I would just have to go with this route. And perhaps maybe for you, if it's like, hey, it's the middle of December and you haven't put the lights up, maybe this is kind of where you're at. And so we have these traditions, these things that we do to uh, prepare for Christmas. Yes, these are things we do maybe on the outside of our home, but also on the inside of your home. Uh, I read recently that some 77% of U.S. households put up a Christmas tree. 81% uh, use artificial trees, they say, and 19% uh, real trees. So I'm not sure where the, the breakdown is here in our room relative to those uh, statistics, but just maybe curious by, by a show of hands, uh, how many of you put a, a real fire hazard up in your home <laughs> every year? Awesome. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, gift giving can be a big part of this time of year. The understanding being that, you know, we receive the greatest gift of all in Jesus. And so when we give gifts, it's a reflection of the fact that we receive the greatest gift in Jesus. And so uh, last year, uh, Santa brought me a um, ear and nose hair trimmer. <laughs> I don't know, it seemed a little passive aggressive to me, but... Um, I decided I'd just keep it in the package where it belongs for hopefully another two decades or so. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but then alongside of these things, a lot of us, as part of our tradition to prepare and decorate for Christmas, includes uh, something like this, a, a nativity set, the story of Luke chapter two uh, displayed in figurines. And uh, this is the one from our home. Uh, this was a gift to my wife Jessica from her mom uh, early in our marriage. This is the willow tree uh, 
generation, for those of you who are maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, remember this deal. And what you see are familiar scene from Luke chapter two, uh, the common cast of characters, if you will. Uh, we know that there were shepherds watching their flocks by night when suddenly an angel appeared to them saying, I bring you good news that's gonna cause great joy for all people. And there in the town of Bethlehem, you'll find a baby in a manger, which is essentially just a nice word of saying a horse uh, or a feeding trough of some kind. So we assume there are animals there. And of course, we have Mary and Joseph. And these are, again, familiar characters around the Luke 2 nativity story, um, but there's another character that's introduced to the Christmas story, not in Luke chapter two, but the nativity set or season or story that we see in Revelation chapter 12. We are introduced to another character um, that, again, starts off familiar. There's a, a baby about to be born. There's a mother pregnant. It's going to bring hope to the world, the whole nine yards. But then in Revelation 12, there's an added character. And it's the character of a red dragon. Now, as I put this out here, I think um, it's important for you all to know this is not something we put out with our nativity scene every year. Um, I think Jessica would want you to know this. Uh, but it is uh, a very real character in the Christmas story. Let me read to you from Revelation chapter 12, uh, this nativity setting. Revelation chapter 12, verse one says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. And so again, we hear that, and that's, that's familiar. This is the story of, of, of a woman giving birth to a child. But then it kind of shifts gears there uh, in verse three, where it says, then another sign appeared in heaven an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head. And it really goes on from there. And honestly, um, there's like children in the room, so it's, it's, it gets a little dark, to be real honest. But there's a lot of a symbolism and the timeline's a little wonky because, you know, time in the heavenlies doesn't exist the same way that it does in the created order, so it kinda seems uh, a little off. But what you see as you read that story unfold in Revelation 12 is that there is this dragon who is stopping at nothing to try to stop the coming of this child, that the, do anything could stop this baby from being born. And so why is this dragon so bent on making sure this child is not born, that this child does not come? Well, the reality is, is this child, this baby has come to bring light into the darkness. He has come to bring life where there is death, and this dragon, which is the devil, and his demons, this devil will stop at nothing to stop Christmas, the first Christmas, from happening. And I get it, like, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know where we're going with this, but uh, all this you know, talk of like dungeons and dragons and demons, like, let's be honest, it kind of ruins the nativity set. I mean, look, this is plastic, it doesn't even match you know, this nice willow tree set. And it kind of just, if we're honest, it feels a little more like, stranger things than it does that silent night, that holy night, that sacred night that we are familiar with. And 
Again, I get it, like it, it kind of throws things off, it ruins the mood, um, and, and, I, and I too, you know, I'll be honest, I wish that the dragon, I wish that the devil was not a part of the story too. I read recently uh, of, a, of a family um, who, they, they must have known the Revelation 12 account of the nativity because uh, in their yard they set up uh, a nativity set, you know, that um, classy plastic, you know, Mary and Joseph and, and the whole nine yards. But with that, they added to their front yard this uh, giant inflatable red dragon. And as you can imagine, uh, some of the neighbors weren't super thrilled about this uh, you know, representation of uh, whatever it is they were trying to do, but uh, they got an anonymous note from a neighbor, uh, said, quote, your dragon display is only marginally acceptable at Halloween. It is totally inappropriate at Christmas, and it makes your neighbors wonder if you are involved in a demonic cult. And it ended with, may God bless you and help you to know the true meaning of Christmas. And again, I get it, like, uh, I get the sentiment, you know, it just, it doesn't belong, it's out of place, and if we're honest, it's a little kind of off and uncomfortable. However, it is the reality of what is happening, we could say, behind the scenes. You know, last week, if you were with us, we talked about how the physical battles that we see in this world, whether around the world or just in our own worlds, that beneath the physical realities is a spiritual kind of underscore, a reality to all of these things. Ephesians 6 says it this way, that our struggles, they're not against flesh and blood, they're not just merely physical, but they are, quote, against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so again, it's like, whoa, like, is this Christmas? Like, yes, we absolutely recognize like none other in this season, in this time of year, we are reminded, we are encouraged, we acknowledge and celebrate and hold to the hope that Jesus has come, that he has come, as he says in John 10, 10, to give life and life to the full. This belief that the one who gave us life, the one who literally gave us breath in our lungs has also shown us by his will and his ways and his word the best way to actually live out that life, life and life to the full, both in this life that lasts into eternity. However, as you can see in that verse, that there are some ellipses. You know what ellipses are? Those three little dots. Uh, you might remember from grammar class that uh, on the other side of those three little dots are a word, or maybe a series of words that when included give us a full understanding, a fuller representation of what's being communicated. And so, yes, Jesus' words in John 10.10 10 is, I have come to give life and life to the full. Because in contrast, on the other side of that ellipsis, he reminds us just as true in John 10.10 10, that there is a thief. There is a dragon. There is a devil that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And so this thief, this red dragon, this devil, he comes to, in very real ways, to steal and kill and destroy through what Ephesians 6 says, schemes. That the devil has strategic, intentional schemes to take us out. Uh, there's a lot of ways he does that, but three key ways that I think it's helpful for us to be aware of in this spiritual reality that plays out in our physical worlds. Uh, one is that he deceives, that Satan is a deceiver. That's actually a synonym for his name. His name actually means deceiver. 
And we said last week uh, that what God creates, Satan recreates, he counterfeits. Whatever God creates, he counterfeits with lies. That you could say lying is the devil's native language. It's his first tongue. And so we get it. Like We think about like the temptations that we face in our life. Like What is temptation? Temptation, ultimately, at the end of the day, is promise you things that can't deliver. It tells you that you're missing out, and it convinces you, he convinces you, to just worry about only yourself, be selfish, that the best way for this life is to focus only on your own life. And so he deceives, he lies. The enemy, he's also described as a distractor. That one of Satan's best schemes, if he can't you know, just kind of get you with the overt temptation and evil, uh, is to, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an old adage, I'm not sure who to give credit to, I've heard it so many times, but essentially it goes something like, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And we think about what is busyness in our culture? It's, it's distraction. Uh, because you think about it, all these things accomplish the same thing. Sin, busyness, distraction, they all have a way of disconnecting us from the things that matter. They disconnect us and distract us from our relationship with God. They distract us and disconnect us from our relationship with other people. Uh, even distract us and disconnect us from kind of our relationship with ourself. Like con- disconnects us from our very soul. And so these distractions, they, they just have a way of keeping us, distracting us from the questions and the things that really matter, not just temporarily, but eternally. They, they prevent us from facing questions, facing ourselves in the mirror and asking, you know, like, why am I really here? And, and what am I doing while I'm here? Like, what is the purpose? Like, what really matters in this life? And then when this life is over, like, what happens next? Like, what matters when it comes to the life after this earthly life? And so the distractions have a way of keeping us from the things that we should be keeping our attention on, the things that matter. There's something about the video game playing, the internet surfing, the social media scrolling, the YouTubing, the TikToking, the binge watching, the right swiping, the self-medicating, the over-scheduling, the over-committing, the career chasing, the political obsessing that consume us and busy us and distract us. To distract us from what really matters and from focusing on the things that really last. So that's who he is. He is a deceiver, he's a distractor, and then lastly, he, well not lastly, but the last one we're gonna focus on today, he is ultimately, he is a discourager. He discourages. And uh, if you're taking notes, you might write the word accuse. Uh, he's an accuser next to that. I could've used the word accuse, but it doesn't start with the letter D. And uh, <laughs> in preacher land, we like when these things come together. Uh, what's it called again? Alliteration. Alliteration, yes. We love our alliteration. I don't know what it is or what it's called, but that's what it is. And so that's what he does. He, he constantly discourages us by constantly accusing us. He accuses you of the things you've said, the things you've done. He even accuses God. He accuses God like he doesn't really know you personally. He doesn't have what's best for you. You think God's gonna answer your prayer after what you said, after 
the things you did. He is an accuser. He is a discourager. He is a distractor. He is a deceiver. But back to the other side of that ellipsis, back to the other side of the words of Jesus that even though there is this thief that is looking to steal, kill, and destroy as he distracts, discourages, and deceives us, the good news is that there is one who has come to finish John 10.10, that I have come, Jesus says, to give you life and life to the full. I have come at Christmas, as the angel said, to bring good news of great joy for all people who choose to place their faith in him for a whole new life, both in this life and in the next. And, you know, as I share this, I, I recognize uh, there's, there's even some of you who are guests today, and uh, it's been cool to meet you. And maybe, um, maybe you're not just new to this church. Maybe you're kind of new to church and a lot of, and, and you're just kind of looking at all this like, whoa, okay. And you're asking questions like, okay, like Jesus come, like, but you look at this, this dragon, this idea of a devil, and you're kind of like, Really? Like, like, do y'all actually believe around here that there's an actual being out there who's looking to cause this destruction and mayhem, like in my life and in the lives of others around the world? You just, I don't know, maybe you just feel like, feels rather naive. But I would contend, I would challenge you that as you look at the world, like as you look at the things around this world, as you see in the news that we probably all watch way too much of, as we look at the pain and the suffering and the struggle around the world, let alone just, if we're honest, our own worlds, I would contend that is it maybe naive to believe that there's not a devil, that there's not someone, something up to all this awfulness that we see in the world or in our worlds. And so, if Revelation 12 is real, uh, and if more so, if, if Luke chapter two is real, just as much as this is real, that Jesus is real, like that we must ask then the natural question, if this is real, and it's not just a story, and it's not just something that adorns our mantles as part of our traditions, but it's actually something that's really real, then we have to ask ourselves, what then are the implications? What are the actual implications for my life? Like today's Sunday, but Monday's coming. Why is Monday, why is tomorrow gonna look different? Because this is real. Or as we approach our Christmas services, for those of you who are regulars around here, like, yeah, I know this is, it's like, this should change the way we think about our Christmas service. We're not just figuring out which of those eight services works best for us, we're also figuring out which one works best to be able to invite my unchurched friend, my unchurched family member, coworker, neighbor. Uh, that we can assure you that we are being intentional with that service and what we are going to share uh, to be able to present a message that reminds people of a story that, again, showing up here on a Christmas, it'll be good to see him again this year, we saw him last year, is not just a tradition for once a year, but it's something that actually changes their life, both in this life and the next. And so what would that look like for us, for those that we're going to bring, for 2024, 25, 20, for all the days of our life to look different and into the next life, because this is real. Because I think we would agree that if this is real, well then that changes everything. Changes everything.